0: Turning your Bibles this evening to the Gospel of Luke and chapter 24. I'm going to be focusing this evening on verses 45 through 49. So let's read together, beginning with verse 45. Luke 24, beginning with 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power From on high, the grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God endures forever. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these words spoken by the Lord Jesus to his disciples, that he speaks the same words to us tonight by the power of his spirit. And Lord, would you enable us to engage in the work of making disciples of all the nations, of bringing men and women, children, young people into the kingdom of God to serve and honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray it in his name, amen. Well, our text this evening... Rounds out, so to speak, the final words that Jesus spoke to his disciples on that evening in which he had been risen from the dead and he came and met with his disciples. I want to make one slight correction to the message a couple of weeks ago. I think I referred to the eleven gathered together in the room, and Jesus appearing to them. Actually, there were only ten present. I know it's not a big deal, but just so you know, Thomas wasn't there. So ten of the apostles, along with the women and the two from Emmaus, were there. But here is Jesus coming. He appears to his disciples in his resurrected, glorified body and he speaks to them he talks to them he instructs them he even invites them to come and touch him to handle him and see because they thought it was a spirit he said oh, a spirit does not have flesh and bones as I do handle me and see and then he expounds to them the scriptures Now, there would be other times in which Jesus would appear and give instruction to his disciples. Most notably, we see in John chapter 20 that he comes a week later on the Lord's Day when the disciples are gathered and Jesus appears and Thomas is there. And you remember how Thomas has said, I will not believe unless i put my finger in the nail prints and what does jesus do a week later he says thomas is that what you need to do come put your finger in the nail prints put your hand in the in my side if that's what he needed christ gently ministered to him to encourage and strengthen him. A little while later, we find Jesus on the shoreline preparing breakfast for the disciples and the the famed encounter with Peter over and over and over, Jesus saying, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. But that is later. For now, the most important thing seems to be that Jesus wants his disciples to understand what they need to be doing now that he has risen from the dead. And he explains that in verses 46 through 49. Now Luke, as he has done on frequent occasions, gives us the abbreviated version, if you will, of this great commission. Mark is also quite brief. He simply says, Jesus said, go preach the gospel to every creature. Now Luke adds to this account, especially the part about the gift of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1, and we'll look at that briefly this evening. But the fullest description, most of us are fully aware that the fullest description is found in Matthew 28 and verses 19 through 20. We're going to refer to each of these passages. But our main focus is going to be right here in Luke chapter 24. And we see three specific elements that are connected and intricately woven into this great commission. We see the prerequisites of that great commission, the substance of that great commission, and the provision of that great commission. Let's look first of all with the prerequisites of this great commission. Jesus introduces this commission by emphasizing yet again that the ground out of which this work of, of spreading the gospel grows is rooted in the suffering, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's very similar to what we heard this morning when Pastor Matt told us that zeal and prayer is the soil out of which our evangelism grows. In the same way, Jesus is saying it's out of this, this ground, this, this foundation of his suffering and death and resurrection that this great commission comes those are the prerequisites it is necessary that the Christ suffer and die and rise again it's prerequisite it in other words these are the things that had to be done before the gospel message could go out to all the nations And the reason for that is that here was the Son of God. If he had not suffered, if he had not borne the wrath of God in our place on the cross, if he had not been raised from the dead, my friends, there would be no message there would be nothing to tell. There would be no forgiveness of sin because that sin would not have been atoned for. There would be no hope of everlasting life, of eternity with God. If these things had not happened, it was necessary that the Christ suffer, that he die, and that he rise again. The Apostle Paul is very pointed in the way that he brings this out in 1 Corinthians 15, a great passage on the resurrection. But listen to what the Apostle Paul says in verse 16. For those that were doubting the resurrection entirely. And Paul says, if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Do you see here was the prerequisites of this great commission? The message depended on Christ. We needed one who suffered in our place. We needed one who paid the price of our sins. We needed one who had risen from the dead. Because that testifies then, as Matthew 28 and verse 18 puts it, that all authority had been given to Christ now. And therefore, we respond to this great commission. This commission comes not as a helpful hint to a happy life. This commission comes as the command of the Almighty, resurrected and soon to ascend King of kings because he has been raised Jesus wanted his disciples both then and now to be crystal clear on this point that without a substitutionary death without a bodily resurrection from the dead there would be no gospel there would be no reconciliation with God, no peace with God to talk about. There would be no hope of heaven or eternity. It's very interesting that almost a hundred years ago, in 1923, the Presbyterian Church in the United States of America General Assembly formed Five fundamentals to which every ministerial candidate must subscribe. They were the inerrancy of Scripture, the virgin birth, the substitutionary atonement, the bodily resurrection, and the miracles of Jesus. It's the very things that Jesus is saying this was necessary. This is what was prophesied in the Old Testament. That the Christ, the Messiah, must suffer and die and be raised again. Now, my friends, this great commission is a great work. And it is a very important work. But listen, it cannot be done apart from the death, the suffering, the substitutionary death and suffering of the Messiah, of the bodily resurrection from the grave. Without these things, Any attempt to turn sinners into disciples of Christ without a total dependence upon the authority and power of the risen Christ is always going to be unfruitful. This is necessary, this is part of the heart and soul of the gospel message. That Christ came, that he lived, that he suffered, that he died, that he rose again from the dead. I think the psalmist puts it well in Psalm 127, verse 1, when he says, Unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain who build it. There is no great commission without these foundation stones, without that substitutionary suffering and death, without the resurrection of the dead of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, secondly, let's look more particularly at the substance of this great commission. Now, the authority which Christ has as the risen, reigning Son of God The authority of Christ is at once both our power and our motive. If he is our master and our king, when he reveals to us his will for his disciples, we joyfully respond, yes, Lord. When Christ says, this is what I want you to be doing, we say, yes, Lord. This is not multiple choice. This is not something that we pick and choose. Well, that doesn't really suit my, my personality. This is the will of Christ that we make disciples of the nations. What exactly does he want us to do And how does he want us to do it? Well, Luke responds simply by saying, it was necessary that these things happen in order that repentance and forgiveness of sin be preached to the nations. Now, of course, Matthew, I think most of us are quite familiar with that passage in Matthew 28, you may want to turn back there. And here Matthew gives us a little more detail. And we're going to kind of borrow from his three subpoints as we talk about what the Lord wants us to do. What is the substance of this great commission? Of course, Matthew tells us, go and make disciples, number one. Two, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit; and three, teach them all things that Jesus has commanded. Now we're going to look at those three points, but before we do, I want you to understand that everything we see here flows out of the first word of Matthew 28:19. That first word is the word go in most of our English translations. The word is actually a participle. I know many of you, like me, probably are not real excited about grammar. But this is important because what we usually do in order to make a participle is add ing. What the word actually is saying is going. Now, do you understand the point? The point is that as we're going, or as you go, make disciples. And the the point is that you don't have to travel halfway around the world to fulfill the Great Commission. Because each and every one of us is already going. We are in route. We are like Christian from Pilgrim's Progress on the road to the celestial city. We're going, brothers and sisters. We're moving from here to there. We're on our way. And what Jesus is saying is, as you go, whoever you are, wherever you are, as you go, Make disciples. Proclaim the gospel. three parts to that proclamation to this great commission. Number one, make disciples of all the nations. Now, what is Jesus saying here? I want you to make men, women, young people, children... Disciples, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Essentially, making disciples of all the nations is bringing a person into a right relationship with Jesus as their Lord and Savior making disciples is bringing these individuals into a right relationship with the Lord Jesus himself. Now, the scriptures are unmistakably clear that a person who does not have a personal relationship with the Lord as Savior, as King, as Master as Redeemer, that person is lost. Or as the Apostle Paul puts it over in Ephesians 2, when he says, you who were dead in trespasses and sins, when you're outside of Christ, when you're not in that relationship of a disciple of Christ, you are dead in your trespasses in sin. In verse 12 of Ephesians 2, he says, Remember that at that time you were without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, the people of God. You were strangers from the covenants of promise, all the faithful promises of God to his covenant people. When you're outside of Christ, you have nothing to do with that. You're strangers from those covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's the condition of men who do not know Christ. But the scriptures are also clear, unmistakably clear, that that condition can change. That those who were dead in their trespasses and sins... Can become alive; that those who were far away from God can be brought near by the blood of Christ. So, my friends, the goal is to make disciples to see that change take place. Or, as Luke puts it, that repentance and forgiveness would be proclaimed to them. How does that happen? Well, most of us here tonight know very well how that happens. It happens when a person confesses his sin and turns from that sin and believes on the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior of sinners. Becoming a disciple of Christ means that you who once were dead become alive in Christ. Now, my friends, if we know Christ already, if we are disciples, this commission comes to us. We are to take this message to the nations. And it's a message of life. It's a message of the forgiveness of sin, freedom from the guilt of that sin, and a message of hope, hope of eternal life and fellowship with Christ throughout all the ages. With this message, we may see men who are lost and undone become followers of Jesus Christ, become disciples of him. The second part of this great commission is to baptize them. Have you ever really thought about that? We all know what it is to tell someone the gospel, to quote unquote make them a disciple, a follower of Christ, to to help them believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But what is this baptism about? Jesus says, not only make disciples of all nations, but baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And what I think we see here is Jesus showing very clearly that we're not just out for a decision. We want a disciple. And there's a big difference. Spurgeon was once confronted after one of his evangelistic services, and some men came up to him and said, Mr. Spurgeon, One of your converts is down at the corner bar drunk. And Spurgeon said, well, obviously, he's one of my converts and not one of the Lord's converts. Because when the Lord converts, he changes them. Here, we see part of that change. A true disciple doesn't just say, yep, I'm a follower of Jesus. He shows it by his commitment to Christ and to the church. If making someone a disciple brings him into a right relationship with Jesus, baptizing that individual Brings them into a right relationship with the church. And my friends, both are commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ. Go and make disciples. But don't just stop with a decision. Baptize them. Bring them into a right relationship with the church. Sometimes I hear people say, well, we we don't do church. Oh, I love Jesus, but we, we don't go to church. So one man told me, you can't love the head without loving the body. You can't serve Christ and be outside of that local body of believers that is, that is spoken of throughout the scriptures as the body of Christ, the church of the living God. Baptism is the new covenant sign that sets us apart and unites us to the people of God in the local body of Christ. And it is no less an option then faith and repentance make disciples, baptize them. It's very interesting when you read the book of Acts and you see that every single believer immediately seeks baptism. And all but one throughout the New Testament immediately unites with the local body of the church and comes under the authority of elders and in a ministry with deacons. And I say every single one except one, and that was the Ethiopian eunuch who was, as it were, on his way out of town, headed back to Africa. Now He didn't have a church when he got there. But 200 years later, Christianity has spread across all of northern Africa. Largely, I think, because of that man taking the gospel, making disciples, and seeing them united together as the body of Christ by baptism. The third thing, third element of this great commission is to teach them To observe all that I have commanded. My friends, we live in a day in which teaching and and learning are not high priorities, but this is part of fulfilling the Great Commission. When we're going to, to fulfill this Great Commission that Christ gives to us, as He gave to His first disciples. Never, never truncate the message. Don't boil it down to just the simple things, just the easy things, just the pleasant things. Jesus says, no, you teach them the whole counsel of God. Everything that he has commanded In his word, not just the easy stuff, not just the socially acceptable stuff, but teach them to observe everything that I have commanded. So then a true disciple is a learner. He's an individual who desires to grow in grace and in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is one who's willing to be taught, to be instructed in the ways of God and what the Word of God teaches. And then he desires with all his heart to apply it to his life so that he may be pleasing to his Redeemer and his Master. So here are these three elements connected to this great commission summarized by luke's repentance and remission of sin forgiveness of sin here matthew says make disciples bring them into a right relationship with the lord baptize them bring them into a right relationship with the church and teach them all that i have commanded bringing them into a right relationship with one another, as we learn what Christ intends you know, for us to do and how He expects us to live with one another in the house of God. Lastly, I want us to talk about the provision of the Great Commission. Now, the power of the resurrected Christ enables us to see men become disciples, those that were dead are made alive. In the name of Christ, we baptize them. By the word of Christ, we teach them. It is a great commission that he gives us. But Many of you probably know, it's also a very difficult commission at times. And therefore, the, the last verse that Jesus speaks here to his disciples indicate that this is not something anyone can do in their own strength or based on their own intellectual gifts or their own wisdom. You need, in order to fulfill this great commission, you need divine power. It's the only way it's going to happen. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus tells them. Wait for the promise of the Father. Stay in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Jesus is telling them very plainly, you can't do this. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. And that holds true today as much as it did 2,000 years ago. My friends, if you want to successfully see men made into disciples, if you want to see them baptized and brought into the church, if you want them to learn all that Jesus has commanded, the only way that can happen is by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's interesting, at least to me, when Jesus says, wait for the promise of the Father, no one said, um, and what promise would that be? Because this is not new. The Old Testament prophets spoke of this. Isaiah talks about the day in which the Lord will pour out his spirit like floods upon dry ground. On the day of Pentecost, when this promise is come, Peter says, this is what the prophet Joel says. And he quotes from Joel chapter 2. The Old Testament prophets had spoken of this. John the Baptist, back in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11, he says, I baptize you with water, but he who comes after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And Jesus had repeatedly taught his closest followers about the Holy Spirit. In John 14, in John 14, in verse 26, Jesus says, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Actually, that's 15 in verse 26. 14 in verse 26, Jesus says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. The Old Testament talks about this promise of the outpouring of the Spirit of God. John the Baptist talks about this outpouring of the Spirit upon the people. And Jesus talks about this outpouring of the helper, the comforter, the paraclete. And he will come and he will do this. Now, my friends, this happened on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God was poured out upon the church. Now, there's a lot of confusion in our day about particularly the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you four ways in which the Scriptures speak of the Holy Spirit. Number one, the baptism of the Spirit was a once and for all historical event. And it takes place in two stages. As the baptism of the Spirit poured out upon the Jews on the day of Pentecost and upon the Gentiles at the house of Cornelius, when Peter goes and preaches the gospel to them. That baptism, that outpouring of the Spirit upon the church was never repeated. It is never encouraged. No one is ever asked if they have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. No one is ever encouraged to receive the baptism of the Spirit because the baptism of the Holy Spirit was a once-and-for-all historical event. And then there's the gift of the Spirit, which is a once-and-for-all personal event that takes place at conversion. And so what do we find in Acts chapter 2? When Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost and the men come to him and say, men and brethren, what shall we do? They're cut to the heart. They're under conviction. What do we do? And in verse 38, Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you will receive not the baptism of the spirit. Once for all historical event. But the gift of the Spirit, once for all, personal event that happens at conversion. You don't ever see it happening twice. You don't ever hear about someone losing the gift and then getting it again later. The gift of the Spirit is a once for all, personal event that happens at conversion. The third way in which the Scripture speaks of the Spirit is the filling of the Spirit. The filling of the Spirit is a repeated historical and personal event according to a specific need. And so we see Peter in chapter 4 of Acts and verse 8. Then Peter Filled with the Holy Spirit. And he begins to speak words to the people. But at the end of this chapter, or near the end of this chapter in verse 31, it happens again. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. The filling is a repeated historical and personal event. The Apostle Paul, when Ananias comes into the house and baptizes him, and it says he was filled with the Spirit. A little while later in Acts 13 on the island of Cyprus, we read that Paul was filled with the Spirit and said to the demon-possessed girl, come out of her. And the demon came out, a repeated historical and personal event according to specific needs. And then there is the fullness of the Spirit, which is a continuous abiding of the power of the Holy Spirit. So we read tonight from Acts chapter 6, about how the apostles instructed the people to choose out seven men of good reputation in verse three, full of the Holy Spirit. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. There's a fullness of the Spirit that abides, that continues that manifests itself again and again and again as we walk in the Spirit and not according to the flesh. So all of these ways in which the Spirit comes initially poured out the baptism on the day of Pentecost never repeated and then the the gift of the Spirit personally and individually at conversion, the filling of the Spirit, repeated event, and then the fullness, continued abiding of the power of the Spirit in the life of the believer. My friends, this great commission that Jesus gives to his disciples wasn't just for apostles. It wasn't just for ministers of the gospel. The women were there. The two disciples from Emmaus were there. And perhaps others. They also received this commission go, as you go, make disciples. But don't stop there, bring them into the church. You can't be a healthy Christian outside of that church that Jesus purchased with his own blood. Bring them in and teach them, teach them everything that I have commanded in the scriptures. All of us should respond to this great commission, not in our own strength, but upon the power of the Holy Spirit. We need it as much today as they did then. And what does Jesus say to his disciples in Luke 11, and verse 13? God gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. You want to be an effective evangelist? you want to fulfill the Great Commission in your day and age, in your community, in your family, in your church, ask Him. Ask Him for the Holy Spirit to bless your labors, to empower you, to enable you, to break out of your comfort zone and make disciples of all the nations. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these words that our Lord spoke to his disciples that first resurrection day, that he speaks this resurrection day, the Lord's day. And we pray that you will bring them home to our hearts and minds with a renewed zeal and power and prayer that we might see men turn from darkness to light, that we might see those who once were dead made alive in Christ, those that once were far off brought near by the blood of Jesus. Help us and grant us power from on high to serve you, and glorify your name. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's take a few moments as we contemplate this commission from our Savior.